0: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, the man who moves markets says ignore today's sell-off. We're headed back to new highs. J.P. Morgan's Marka Kolonovic tells us why he sees a rush back into equities. He'll join us exclusively straight ahead. Plus, crude gets crushed. Oil falling for the fifth straight day. We're drilling down on the major oil slick in the energy trade. And we're all over the after-hours action. Shares of Nike and FedEx, both stocks on the move, on earnings. Nike's call is just kicking off will bring you all the big headlines. But we start off with another rate shock sinking stocks. All three major averages finishing at session lows, with tech taking it the worst. The Nasdaq down 3%. And check out the action in the bond market. Rates rocketing higher with the 10-year yield actually touching 1.75%. That's a pre-pandemic high. Once again, it was tech underperforming. Banks breaking out. Not just today, in fact. That has been the move, the trade over the past month. So... Is this the winning trade you stick with? Guy, what do you say?
1: I believe so. And, you know, Tim mentioned yesterday when we saw the VIX close below 20, it was more of a cautionary tale than anything else. And that that proved to be correct. And I do think you stay with this trade because I think it's going to continue. I think it's going to continue because I'm still of the belief that rates are going higher. Uh, You know, I think I've been pretty steadfast on that for a while, that you're going to see 2% in the 10-year a lot quicker than people think. And that's going to lend itself to the strength in the areas that we've talked about, resources, banks, etc. And, and, it, and it does make sense. It is somewhat concerning how much some of these bank names have run. But with that said, I mean, the rotation out of tech into these names, my sense, will continue. And the VIX has been a tell a number of times. You know, Every time it gets this 20, 20 and a half level, at least in the short term, it's proven to be... A bit of a top in the market, so we'll see if that continues.
0: Yeah, and it's not just how much they've run. We just showed the chart of the KRE, which is the regional bank ETF, up 35 percent um, so far this year. It, it, the question is, how, how much can the overall markets be down in response to higher rates with the banks continuing to perform, Karen? I mean, at some point, I would, I would imagine something's got to give.
2: Yeah, I think something's got to give. I mean, for a long time, it was they were underperformed for so long. There was a lot of ground to make up before they got even close. But I think they've made up a lot of ground already. I mean, when I think about I feel like the hard money's already been made. A lot of hard money's been made. This I'm not as excited about. So I actually shorted some KRE today for a couple of reasons. One, I don't want to sell the banks and have a, have a big gain and then figure out after tax what to do with money. So, But I did want to take some of that bank move exposure off the table. To me, the KRE is a better instrument. It's a little more pure of a rate play. When I think about the money center banks, I think they're still really doing well on their capital markets business, which is just booming, and the asset management business as well. So I wanted to get some of that that hedge, and so I shorted KRE. Um, not, not a lot higher than where it is right here. I just think this has been a gigantic run. I know the spreads are wider, but I do always talk about on the way, you know, when they, when they were tighter, it wasn't, it's not like banks are one giant 2s, ten spread. We, we look at them and think they are. Yeah. They're not. Clearly higher rates are better. But we talked about the stock. It was, I mean, we think about JP Morgan moving 70%. <laughs> That's an enormous move since, I don't know, six months ago. Enormous. So I felt like I got to take a little money off the table, but this T- is the easier, better way, more efficient way to do it.
0: Tuesday's ten spread, by the way, widest since 2015. At the top of the show, Tim, we presented these two moves in technology and banks sort of as a pair trade. Doesn't necessarily have to be a pair trade, but the idea here is, does tech continue to fall with higher rates and banks continue to go higher? I don't know if you think there is a pair trade here, Tim, or if this is just the way the markets are going to go in terms of continuing rotation.
3: Well, the pair trade—if you were long Citibank versus the the Nasdaq 100 or the Triple Qs since November, you were up sixty-three percent. Mm. Um, and, and so you have a case here where I just want to be clear: momentum is not a sector; it's not a gig sector; it's not a subsector; it's a trading dynamic. And, and so uh, at some point. Uh, banks and industrials are momentum stocks. They're not, you know, value stocks. I think we're, we're quick to, to kind of say, oh, this is value over growth, and, you know, there's plenty more to go. And, and at some point, look, there's been an enormous run here. Um, I, I think if you look at some of the money center banks, the Bank of America is still down 30% from its all-time highs, and that's weaving in a lot of dilution around... Uh, the Merrill Lynch dynamics and, and whatnot. But, but again, you can make an argument that, that uh, some of these money center banks still have a ways to go. You can make an argument that tens at 155 is, is still uh, uh, got a little ways to go. Although Mike Santoli did a great job last hour pointing out there's a limit to how that's going to go in a, in a historical context. I just think that um, the, the, the dynamics for the economy And if you think about where uh, we came from and the extraordinary tailwinds for technology, and and that's both COVID-related and also going into the COVID, and and then the dynamics around both reopening and and then essentially almost a, a, you know, I don't know, a, a rehabilitation of some of the industrial sectors. The fact that we talk about GM, and I know we're going to talk about autos later, so I'll leave that alone, uh, but I'll just say that there are sectors that were old and stodgy um, in the industrial side that have become technology in their own right, at least relative to where they were. And I think that's really what's going on here. But uh, your question, hey, can you continue to do this? Yes, you can.
0: Uh, I, I guess the question is, that has the paradigm shifted in terms of how we we see value and how we see growth. And in this context, where we are right now, Dan, are banks still value?
4: I don't think so. I mean, I think there's a lot of good news priced in about the rising rate environment. I'm not sure that we can be convinced that we're going to see the 10-year Treasury stay where it is and that 210 spread stay where it is. I know there's a lot of optimism. This is going to be the first group that reports their Q1 earnings when we get into mid-April. And there's a lot of optimism about releasing loan loss reserves. I think Tim and Karen have been on that trade um, for months and months now, tracking the economic data and what the likelihood is that they're able to unlock those reserves. And I think There's a lot of good news in those names right now. As you talk about tech and this dynamic between the two of them, I mean, listen, you know, tech is maybe 30% of the S&P 500, depending upon how you measure it, and financials are about 10%. And I'll take us over to the energy trade, which is obviously was a huge performer. It was like lockstep over the last month or so, as we saw rates higher, tech down. We saw money go into energy stocks, financials, some cyclicals, industrials, that sort of thing. So to me, I think you have two groups of tech, that, um, one doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Apple's down nine percent of the year, largest market cap company in the world, down 16 percent from its all-time highs in late January. I get why they're selling it. Um, I probably wouldn't be selling that of all the things that have run over the last year or so. But then I look at growth tech, high valuation growth tech. I look at Crowdstrike. we were talking about it the other night on the show, the night that they reported. I think we said almost the same thing that we said about Zoom maybe a week and a half or two weeks ago when they reported, Who is the incremental buyer here? Get given what we know about their business and the secular shifts there and the pull forward in demand. So I think you're going to start to see High valuation tech continue to accelerate to the downside. I think you may see large cap, mega cap tech act as defensive at some point when they're down a little too much. But I won't be surprised if we see banks' financials do what energy has done over the last week in the next couple of weeks.
0: Hmm. Well, let's see what the options market's saying. Uh, bring in Bono and Eisen. Some interesting options activity in the banks. Bono, what'd you see?
5: Massive volumes in the banks, led in large part by Bank of America then you're drilling down, calls are outpacing puts about 2 to 1. But if you drill down into the volume, volumes were over 700,000 options traded. That's about three times what we typically see. The options are implying about 11% move in either direction between now and May, which will give you that April earnings kicker that Dan mentioned. And the trade that really jumped off the tape to me, 22,000 of the May 40 calls traded about $1.90, putting your break even at 41.90 or about 108% of current spot. Massive option volume in Bank of America today.
0: All right. Thanks for that, Bonwin, and Bonowin, and Eisen. You know, guy, Dami, going back to this notion of, of value or or growth and what is value now, what is growth. Now I remember a couple of days ago we unveiled a new game called Mismatch. So just revisiting one of love the, the, mis- I love the game. mismatched Tremendous. pairs that we had touched on. Netflix or General Electric, this seems to really <laughs> encapsulate where the markets are at this moment in time both have forward pe's of about 50 low 50s or so but at this point what what do you see as growth what do you see as value what do you see as the one worth paying 50 times forward earnings for
1: yeah it's well this you know I'm a huge netflix fan but given what we're given what we're in, the, we're in the midst of i mean i actually think there's probably more alpha in general electric at these levels just in terms of uh, you know, the upside they have in this environment and the businesses that they're in, and some of the measures they put forth over the last year, year and a half. So it's GE. And that's not to cast aspersions. I don't know how to spell that, but I like using the word. At Netflix, I just think GE as a stock is a better play right here. And by the way, I love the game. And the music background of that was just one of our best. People in the 14 that. years we've been doing this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. I know you're going to make your ringtone. Um, markets may have been in sell off mode today, but our next guest says stocks are going to go higher and soon. Joining us now on the fast line is Wall Street's biggest bull, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic. He was recently promoted to chief global market strategist. Marco, congratulations. Good to have Thank you. Have
6: you. Thank you. Um,
0: you said uh, stocks are going to go back to all time highs. That was like yesterday. So can you sort of elaborate mm-hmm. um, what the pace is and, and what the nuance is to this move?
6: Yes. So, you know, our view is our mid, mid uh, medium-term view is basically market going to 4400 uh, Now, short-term, there is actually some uh, quite interesting dynamics. Obviously, the weakness in NASDAQ in tech stock is related to higher yields, you know, and we are now coming into the uh, month-end and quarter-end uh, time period where there is a lot of rebalances, you know. So one is rebalance of these bond equities portfolios, and we think basically bonds will find a bid now, uh, so you will see some inflows Uh, inflows into bonds. Now, some of these portfolios may sell equities Um, uh, which would put some downward pressure. However, if yields stabilize, and if uh, yields take lower, you will just see actually uh, a Nasdaq and some of the yield sensitive stocks move higher, which we think is gonna more than compensate uh, for some of these equity outflows. So basically, stabilization of yields, and some of these flows, we think actually is gonna gonna basically support both bond market and equity market. So I wouldn't be surprised that in the next, uh, let's say two weeks, we actually see uh, both bonds moving higher higher equities moving higher. So that's one rebalance and there's another one which is rebalance of momentum factor whereby um, there is gonna be basically inflows in some of the laggards such as energy. So we also think that uh, that sector can benefit. Uh, so it could be a bit of a sort of a broad, uh, both NASDAQ and some of the deep cyclical like energy uh, moving higher.
3: Hey, Marco, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Congrats on the promotion. You've made some gutsy calls on this show over the years at difficult times. You made a call as a, as a house on commodities, and, and oil's mm-hmm. been down 9% over a couple of days. What do you do with this?
6: So it's, it's a little bit of a sort of puzzling move today. So today was obviously one of the largest moves in, 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 in the past year. It's not clear to, to us uh, exactly, you know, obviously some, uh, uh, some fears uh, of uh, coronavirus in Europe, some weakness in the physical markets, but we think actually the biggest part was stop loss on a CTA programs, you know, so sort of really non-fundamental move but basically uh, uh, um, uh, some of of the sort of trend followers basically getting quickly out of their position. So, yes, it's been a little bit of a setback. Uh, We do still think that basically reopening is on the pace in U.S. and in Europe might be delayed a little bit, let's say two months. Uh, We have a dollar that is weaker. We have a lot of monetary support and fiscal support. So we think actually uh, that that's very positive for commodities. So I would be buyer of... Uh, today's pullback, not just in oil, but also in energy stocks, which, as I mentioned, will see inflows going into the month and from momentum rebalance.
2: Marco, it's Karen. Thanks for being on and congratulations also. Uh, let me ask you this 4400 that you talk about, how do you get mm-hmm. there? Is it a higher multiple, higher earnings, or both?
6: Uh, so, higher earnings primarily at the back of reopening. So, we think sort of the summer we will get economy pretty close to normal in the U.S. and in Europe might be a little bit later, but uh, so higher earnings for sure. Um, you know, and then multiple, you know, you will see some rotation, you know, so it depends exactly where the yield goes, so we don't think on the on the growth that you have a multiple expansion, you know, if anything, you may have some contraction, but you could have some more multiple expansion on these cyclical uh, uh, laggards uh, that were lagging for a number of years, you know, so I, I mentioned energy materials industrials, you guys talked about financials, and financials already, some re-rating happened, uh, happened already, um, and, and there is a quite still a bit, of, a bit of a dispersion, you know, so there's some stock that, that picks up, uh, uh, earnings multiple increase more than others you know like so uh, but basically more so on earning side than than on the multiple
0: um, in terms of your bullish forecast Marco what is a risk or what are what's the biggest risk to that forecast and does inflation or the concern the worry about hotter than expected inflation is that anywhere on that list
6: So it is a little bit on a list, but more on a rotation side. You know, like, so generally higher inflation is good for emerging markets. Mm -hmm. It's good for cyclicals, for, for stocks like energy, materials, industrials. So that's why we are still overweight uh, these market segments, so call it cyclical, value, and emerging markets, uh, because if inflation is to pick up, uh, that would actually benefit some of these sectors, while it would hurt hurt a little bit growth. Uh, although we don't think that we'll get some sort of a runaway inflation that's going to destabilize all of the market.
0: Okay, Marco, great to speak with you. Thank you.
6: Thank you, Melissa, Mr.
0: Chief Global Market Strategist, <laughs> Guy Adami. What do you think of how Marco's positioned position for inflation in inflationary environment?
1: Yeah, he's also thinks that market's going to go, you know, racing back, to make mm-hmm. new all-time highs. Listen, marco has been great. His calls have been prescient, to Tim's point. Um, I'm with him on inflation. I think I'm not with him on yields. You know, I think yields continue to grind higher. I think our Federal Reserve paying themselves into an extraordinarily difficult corner yesterday, and the bond market's going to tr- test them, and it's going to continue to do so. And I do think we're going to see 2% in the 10-year in the very near future. And I think that works, still works for banks, despite the run. Quickly, in terms of the cyclicals that are going to get, you know, going to have that move in some of these deep cyclical names. John Deere, th- at this time last year, I don't even know if it's John Deere anymore, Deere & Company was $135 stock. close to $380 today. I mean, that is a parabolic move for that company. So a lot of this is uh, baked in the cake, as they say. I still think you say with financials. I still think you say with resources. But something you have to watch. The Russell led us out to the upside, down 3% today. The IWM is one of the other things you want to have on your radar screen.
0: All right. Coming up, we are all over the after-hours action in Nike and FedEx. Both stocks on the move on earnings. Nike's call is underway. The FedEx call about to kick off. We'll bring you all the big news. Plus... Check out Lordstown Motors, the stock plunging again today after the company's CEO spoke exclusively with CNBC, what he said that had investors slamming the brakes. And later, the -the under-the-radar tech name that actually held up in today's tech sell-off. We have the name and the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Lordstown Motors hitting the skids again today. The company's CEO failing to calm investor fears over a short seller report claiming fraud. He spoke with our own Phil LeBeau earlier today. Phil joins us now. What an interview, Phil.
5: Uh, Melissa, it was an interesting interview on Squawk Box this morning when we talked with Steve Burns. At the heart of the issue surrounding Lordstown Motors right now is the claim by the short seller Hindenburg Research about the orders that Steve Burns has talked about in the past for the first vehicle that will be built by lordstown motors now in the past he has said look we have a hundred thousand orders sometimes he has called them serious orders hindenburg research counters look these are fictitious these are not legitimate orders so we put the question to steve burns this morning and here's what he had to say
1: we queried them we have very robust interest and that's just what they are they're letters of interest you can't do any more of that in this stage so uh, i don't think anybody thought that we had actual orders right we just That's just not the nature of this business.
5: And that's the quote that we've been hearing about all day long from people saying, we don't think anybody actually thought we had actual orders. Well, I think a lot of people did think that, and that's going to be obviously at the heart of the SEC investigation. Look, they're going into a competitive market. Electric pickups are coming from Ford and GM. Tesla is building the Cybertruck. Lordstown has its first uh, electric truck. They schedule uh, going into production in September. And then you have Rivian. We will be hearing from them uh, more throughout this year. By the way, as you take a look at shares of Lordstown Motors, and we're going back to October 26th, that is the day that it started publicly trading after the SPAC IPO was completed. It's now, it finished the day at 1301. That is a new low for shares of Lordstown Motors. And as we mentioned, Melissa, their first vehicle, the Endurance Electric Pickup Truck, they start testing and validating it within the next couple of weeks. They say that'll take a couple of months, several months, but they plan to begin production by September. It is a tight time frame. Adam Jonas from Morgan Stanley out today cutting the price target from $18 down to $12, saying, look, they're going to be spending a lot more than we expected on capital expenditures. Melissa, back to you.
0: Phil, thanks. Phil Lebeau. I think Phil really hit it on the head when he had that uh, graphic showing all of the competitors that Lordstown has at this point. And and for all those people out there looking for the next Tesla, you know, the big difference is that when Tesla was pre-revenue and still in beta and and all that gearing up its, its production, it didn't have this field of competitors, Tim. It was a very different environment for the EV market.
3: Well, it's interesting. It, the, the, it's almost as if Tesla went higher as uh, the the audience around this, and I mean Lordstown and 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 even where GM was starting to make announcements and Ford on EV. That it, it, the entire space has gotten so much attention from SPACs and and whatnot. Um, but but look, it, it's it's an extraordinary tale. I, I just think this is why do you do anything other than you know why buy Lordstown when you can buy GM? I mean, GM's gonna make seven bucks a share in 22. You do it 10 times multiple, it's a $70 stock, even after doubling from October. And again, GM is giving you a combination of EV technology, Ultium battery, so high hydrogen technology, um, the fact that they're an OEM that can make cars and has actually worked through a lot of difficult times over the years to do it profitably. Um, With a really exciting backlog of EV motors coming out by 2025, I I don't know why you'd go anywhere else, especially when the multiple is where it is. So um, I I think that while the competition in the space is actually lit, I I think uh, highlighted the opportunity to invest in the space. I go nowhere other than GM.
0: People may believe, Dan, that there could be another Tesla out there. But can there be another Tesla stock story as we know Tesla to be?
4: Yeah, I actually, I mean, that's the reason why you'd be buying Mm -hmm. one of these things, right, with the limited visibility that they have about their products and about the orders, right? So I think that's where the interest is. And then you look at some of these teams that have been put together on the SPAC side and what they're doing. There's obviously a huge ecosystem around electric vehicles um, that are targeting bringing these things to market. But I actually think it's going to be a bloodbath for a lot of these names. And I think we've just highlighted two of them, Nikola and this one. And then there's the one with Lucid. Um, They look, to be like lucid as that Churchill thing, they have real orders, supposedly $650 million uh, uh, of worth of orders, and it looks like a really hot car that they have. Let me tell you what other is a real order. A year ago, when Ford announced their Mustang Mach-E uh, crossover electric vehicle, I put a $500 order in. I got a call a month ago that my car is going to be in. I bought the car. I have a Ford EV that is competing with Tesla's cars. You're going to see that from all the guys in Detroit. You're seeing it in Germany. You're going to see it in Japan. You're going to see it from China. You're going to see it in almost every market. Um, so to me, the, the competition's coming, whether it comes through some SPAC or whether it comes from Detroit or an established automaker, as Tim just mentioned, it's coming. Um, so I don't really know, you know, what the, the bull case is right now for Tesla with market share. I guess they can go to 5% EV market share. Um, But, you know, again, I've been wrong in this for a year.
0: I want to see a picture of you in that new car, Dan. Please tweet it out. (laughs) Coming up, we're getting fresh headlines out of the Nike earnings call. The stock is heading lower in the after hours. We'll tell you what they're saying that's got the stock moving. And the FedEx call is about to kick off. The stock is higher on earnings. We'll bring you the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a double earnings alert for you on two companies, FedEx and Nike, both on the move after reporting earnings. Nike's conference call is underway. We'll get you the details in just a minute. But first, we start off with FedEx. Frank Collins got the numbers. Frank.
7: Hey there, Melissa. Shares of FedEx up about 3.7 percent after a really strong earnings report. EPS almost a quarter above estimates for a quarter that really had some challenges. We're gonna list them right here. It was the holiday shopping peak with e-commerce already elevated by the pandemic, virus concerns and restrictions. FedEx also handling about half of the vaccine shipments here in the US. And then towards the end of this quarter, severe winter weather that led to major shipping delays. Still, stellar performance. Record revenues in the ground division that handles the majority of e-commerce and residential delivery. That was partly due to the holiday surcharges put on large retail customers, Volume also up 25%, and you see it right here, margin expansion. Expressing volumes up 12%, yield up 7%, also margin expansion for the company's signature air delivery. You gotta remember, the overwhelming majority of vaccines were transported by this express division. FedEx also raised current year guidance and CapEx spending, partly due to expanding its ground capacity. That earnings call starts in just a few minutes. We're expecting more color on vaccine distribution. And if the company expects this elevated e-commerce environment to continue. Melissa, back over to you. All
0: right, Frank, thanks. Frank Holland. Karen, you've got a position, a pretty big one for your portfolio. So what do you want to know on this call? Yeah.
2: Um, So I want to hear, I mean, they've said a lot of good stuff already about uh, this quarter, this coming quarter. And so what will that be for the year? But whether they think they can do continued improvement in their margins, because if you think about it, you know, they, they did highlight that they lost $350 million of operating income from the storm. So when you put that back in, the margin improvement was really good. But how much more is there to go? I'm hoping that there is more to go. And I think the stock at 15 times-ish, what they said will be their earnings, is really attractive, because I do believe that Post-COVID, things. there are pre-COVID and a post-COVID, or a during COVID and a post-COVID, I should say. I, you know, the e-commerce change, obviously, we know that's here to stay. And when businesses reopen, that's good for them, too, and they're running more efficiently. There's a, really, there's a lot to like here, and the valuation is, to me, very attractive. Uh, I, I hope we see even more operating margin improvement in the future. Guy?
1: Actually, I mean, I'm not splitting hairs here, but operating margins in Express were actually lower than the street was looking for. And overall, I think they came in lower as well for obvious reasons. And I think the street's giving them a pass, and they should. For me, it's about valuation. Now, I said that $40 ago when the stock was, you know, 300, or I thought the stock would continue to grind higher on valuation. And you had a pretty precipitous pullback, which I still don't really fully understand. But just valuation alone, the stock should be higher. And I think this quarter, sort of backs that up. So I'm with Karen on this one.
0: All right, let's get to Nike now. Shares are lower after reporting earnings. The call is underway. Let's get to Sarah Eisen with the numbers. Sarah. Melissa, Nike sales came
8: up short thanks to two major issues, U.S. port congestion and European COVID lockdowns. Nike reporting a big beat on the bottom line driven by lower expenses and higher profitability, higher margins from digital growth, which continues to boom up 59% in the quarter. And part of it is its direct-to-consumer business, up 20%. Here's the story globally. Its key home market, North America, was a miss. Sales down 10%. Why? For three weeks during the quarter, Nike wasn't able to move product because of that West Coast port congestion that was only exacerbated by COVID, despite what the CFO just called strong marketplace demand. European sales down 4% on mandated lockdowns, but China recorded sales of 51%, which was better than analysts were expecting, And it was extra strong this quarter because it was the anniversary of the Chinese COVID-19 original lockdown last year. Add it all up, Nike's issues this quarter were likely temporary because if you look for signs of brand strength, you do see it in the numbers. Higher margins, double-digit growth in the Jordan brand, 8% growth in Converse, and continued momentum in digital. Here's what CEO John Donahoe just said about that on the call.
5: Our members are more engaged than ever with an over 60% increase in monthly engaged users for the quarter, led by our sneakers app, where we're seeing four times the engagement in monthly active users versus last year. This heightened engagement is translating into buying. We're seeing continued member growth, outpace total digital growth, as buying members increased 80% versus the prior year
8: also led with some of the highlights and priorities. Naomi Osaka, for instance, calling her a global brand. Triple digit growth in Jordan's women's business and the Nike Go Fly Those are the hands-free sneakers that are coming out later this year. We are waiting for guidance, which is going to be key. Should get it in a few minutes from the CFO on the call because, Melissa, it'll be a tell of whether those port issues are fully behind the company and how demand is shaping up for the rest of the year. The stock... Lower after hours, down more than 3%. It is trading at a historically high valuation and has doubled over the past 12 months as Nike's navigated the pandemic better than most any retailer. Over to you.
0: All right, Sarah, thanks. Good to see you, Sarah Eisen on Nike. Um, Tim, I go to you as a shareholder. I mean, how, how are you thinking about it? I guess it's key, as Sarah had mentioned, is getting the guidance to see whether or not there is some, you know, we didn't make that business this quarter, but we're going to push it out to the next quarter and expect that to come in.
3: I, yeah, I don't know if I need even that, that guidance. Um, I, like, the ports don't bother me at all. The fact that, that like, the China business, think about that. It was $1.5 billion, went up to $2.27 billion. You can do that math. It's up 50%. Um, the digital at 59%. And so the higher margin coming from DTC is fantastic. The fact that they're up do- double digits in all geographies. And, and you know, I think Sarah pointed out the brand power uh, that's gone on across both the Jordan lines and other core lines, the innovation there. So um, it should be trading at a premium. Guess what? Maybe possibly the best stimulus stock out there. Um, where are you going to be spending your money? Probably buying some Nikes.
0: Yeah, unless you're going to start buying some proper pants because you got to go back to the office, guy. But, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know if that's going to hit Nike or not. I would imagine Can that I, you're, you're ask buying a question fewer quick. Pairs I mean, of, of sweatpants.
1: Yeah, well, I still have Nikes from 19, I believe it was 1982 when I was in high school. Um, you're with the, the wrong swoosh. person It asked. was orange swoosh. <laughs> that was my high school colors. number one. Number two, what is a hands-free, what exactly is a hands-free sneaker? Do you just sit there and they magically... Uh, appear on your feet? Am I missing something? Did George Jetson take over at Nike? I mean, that's the most preposterous thing I've ever heard.
0: Could you help me? It, it's sort of like it seals up around, like you stick your it's foot slip in and it kind of, yeah, it's like a slip. It's, like, it's, like a, it's almost <clears throat> like a slipper. I mean, it sort of just, you know, closes on its own. It's just, it's, I guess it saves time better fit. I don't know. I can't speak to it. Coming up, out of energy, (laughs) oil prices tanking today on Pace Now for their worst week since October. So is this the end of the energy trade? We'll get some answers. Plus, we're just hours away from tip-off for March Madness. And after a two-year wait, the stakes couldn't be higher. How the sports betting sites are getting ready for the big dance when Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oil barreling, barreling lower for a fifth straight day. Crude prices sliding more than 7% on pace for its worst week since October. The energy sector was the worst performer in the S&P today, but still up 30% this year. Guy, what would you make of the move?
1: Well, I'm not, I don't know what a sooth is, and I'm not sure what a sayer is, but I know when you put them together, it's somebody that somebody talks about the future and able to predict it. And I know for a fact that we said names, these levered names, are going to have big runs to the upside. We talked about PSX testing that June high. Well, look exactly what happened. I mean, a name like that traded up to 89.5, the June high, and here we are at 81. So I never have ever said the easy money's been made because I think that's, you know, I don't think that's a kind thing to say, but, you know, I think the parabolic moves are over, and I think these things are correcting, and it makes sense. There's going to be an opportunity to buy them again. I just think we ran into a little resistance. I have no idea why crude sold off the way it did, but I do understand why some of these stocks stalled out.
0: We often bring up our friend Paul Sankey of Sankey Research and the daring pairs trade that he made to short Apple and be long Exxon way back when, and it seemed to work to this date. And and Dan, I'm, I'm just curious, at this point in time, would you switch, would you flip it around? Would you say long Apple and short Exxon, given the run that Exxon has had, given the declines that Apple has had?
4: Yeah, I I mean, listen, I'll just talk about energy. I think Mm -hmm. Apple is probably one you want to start scaling into on the long side, down 16% from those recent highs. I think it get down to maybe back to its recent lows. Maybe you see it down 20%, peak to trough decline 25% or so. But crude oil in particular, though, um, doubled from November 2nd from its lows to its recent highs. And now it's broken that uptrend. So to Guy's point about some of those lever and energy names, I would expect them to kind of follow suit here. They got a little ahead of themselves, in my opinion. And, you know, I, I can't remember who said it before, but, you know, there's lockdowns going on again in Europe, that sort of thing. So we might see kind of some stalled sort of economic activity, um, and you might see oil and oil names come back in a little bit. I'd play it through the XLE. That's the way I've been doing that. Exxon and Chevron make up about 45% of the weight there, looking for a move back towards 45
0: All right, coming up, we found you three green spots in today's Sea of Red. The traders will break down how these names managed to stay positive during today's downdraft, plus a big win for sports betting as Connecticut moves closer to a deal allowing online gambling. We've got more on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We just got some big news out of the Nike call. Sarah Eisen's back with that. Sarah. Melissa, we are
8: waiting for the outlook after weaker sales, and it's pretty bullish. Nike's CFO just said that he expects next quarter, which is Nike's fourth quarter, to show 75 percent revenue growth. Now, that encompasses a few things, including easing restrictions from lockdowns in Europe, which hurt Nike this past quarter, and also better uh, pr- better uh, luck at the ports and inventory transit times, he says, improving in the U.S. They're able to get their products to stores and to customers in the U.S. It also looks very strong because you have to compare it to where we were this time last year, which was right smack in the middle of the lockdowns in the U.S. and Europe. Still a very strong number 75% revenue growth for the fourth quarter. For the full year, Nike is saying the guidance is going to be low to mid teens growth revenue versus the prior year. Again, pretty much what analysts were expecting, a little bit better. And the CFO also said, Melissa, they're exceeding pre-pandemic levels of business. Not helping the stock, though, still down 3 percent after hours.
0: Yep. Sarah, thanks. Sarah Eisen. Um, so, Tim, I guess you didn't care about it in the first place, but 75 percent, I would say, <laughs> I mean, grain of salt, right? Because of where we
7: were. Year on
3: yeah, year. I, I guess, you know, y- it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very different outlook. It's a very different environment. Um, I think the multiple the company is representative Look at the multiples that other you know, apparel and kind of discretionary consumer names have um, that control their audience and our innovators and our brand makers. Um, Nike's all those things. And I think the consumer is better and has more spending power.
2: Yeah.
0: Karen, what did you make of that guidance?
2: I I thought it was really good. The only problem, I mean, I think all the port stuff is kind of noise. The only problem is the high multiple going in. And um, so they're sort of a victim of their own success. I don't think you have to jump in right now to buy it. But, uh, I mean, at 40-plus times earnings, I don't own it.
0: Okay. Well, despite today's big sell-off, we did find you a tech stock that managed to stay green in a sea of red. IBM managing to climb nearly 1%. And this is not just today, Guy. For the past month, IBM is up about 7% compared to the decline in the NASDAQ uh, composite. So is this value tech?
1: No, that's, well, I mean, it's it's more value than some of these other names. I mean, clearly you don't have the growth uh, of some of these names, but quite frankly, if with interest rates going higher, I think people are going to move down the curve and look at names like IBM. Oh, by the way, Oracle as well was higher today. Now, I know that's sold off a bit from the prior all-time high we made a couple weeks ago, but still up on a pretty lousy tape. And I think that's a bit of a tell. I think the market's saying, listen, we're going to pare down some of these high flyers and we're going to get into names that, listen, they're not the sexiest names, but valuations we can wrap our head around and maybe we'll get some stability, price stability, while we wait for these other names to come down to levels where we can buy them again.
0: I'm glad you're in my head, because I was also looking at Oracle earlier today. I know that. The multiple for Oracle and IBM are very similar. (laughs) The stock moves in the past month are also very similar. But is uh, is, is it wise, Dan, to actually think that you're getting more value from these names in technology?
4: Not really. I mean, you're getting value, but you're not getting any growth, like I said. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, legacy businesses, maybe, um, you know, with Bitcoin moving here, people think that they're going to kind of roll out those uh, blockchain commercials that were working so well for IBM back in 2017. Remember, we tracked that tomato all around the world <laughs> on a blockchain. Um, listen, th- this company, you know, I, I mean, the stuff that you should be excited about last quarter wasn't growing fast enough. That's why the stock got nailed um, back in January. So I just don't really see any reason to by, uh, IBM here.
0: I wonder where that tomato is now. Coming up, get ready to gamble. Another state is inching closer to a deal on sports betting. We're breaking it all down with the CEO of Action Network. And March is Women's History Month, so we are spotlighting some of our CNBC contributors. Here's Aureus Asset Management CEO Karen Firestone on what empowers her. I'm empowered by the fact that I believe in myself. I was one of the few women who worked at, at Fidelity, but I thought I can put my mind to something, I can research a company as well, I can understand stocks, I can manage a portfolio, as well as the guys. And I just had to remind myself of that all the time because I was so dramatically outnumbered, but I I thought, I can do it, and that's what kept me going. Welcome back to Fast Money. Big news in the sports betting world. Connecticut moving closer to allowing sports betting. The state governor announcing a deal to offer statewide mobile sports betting. And it's a hot time for sports betting. March Madness is underway right now. (laughs) Let's bring in Action Network CEO Patrick Keene for more on just how massive March Madness could be this year. Patrick, great to have you with us. And I'm wondering if you could speak to the sort of trends that you've seen during the pandemic and what you're seeing now as March Madness kicks off.
9: Well, we certainly had a, a challenging spring when the, we had really what was a sports blackout for several months in the spring, which was super challenging for our business, also for the operators like FanDuel and DraftKings and MGM and all the others. But we saw some green shoots happening. PJ Tour came back. We saw NBA basketball coming back. So our business really hit full swing kind of in late July uh, and into the football season. And we had just an extraordinary year, uh, as did a lot of the others in the category.
3: Hey, Patrick, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Um, it, the way online sports betting is growing, uh, bettors need a place to do the analysis, and people have called you guys the, the CNBC, essentially, of, of sports betting, to provide that analysis. We talk about momentum all the time. Where do you see that right now? Where, where? Who are the momentum stocks? Who are the momentum plays uh, at a time when this is what we're measuring all the time in markets? Well, it certainly is those public operators.
9: I mentioned DraftKings, Flutter. Uh, You look at Penn National. I mean, those have been very successful companies. And I think they're also riding the tailwinds of of the return of sports. And we're fortunate to have over the course of the next three weeks, our national sports betting holiday, which is the NCAA tournament. There's 63 games or more. You're going to have just an incredible velocity of consumer acquisition. That's where we play in. And, you know, if you look at DraftKings and you guys know the business well, They spend 200 million bucks a quarter in marketing, and they're trying to acquire customers through our platform and lots of other channels. And it's a it's a free for all grab of customers.
1: Well, Patrick, obviously, last year we didn't have the NCAA tournament. Um, This year we do. How important is it? I mean, you talk about pent up demand. People have been talking about this for a month and a half. How important is this tournament to your business? It's mission critical.
9: About 20 percent of our picks in the platform, people can pick their, their, their picks just like they kind of stock like a mint or robin hood or yahoo finance so they follow their picks in our platform there will be tens of millions of picks followed in the tournament it really is the ncaa tournament the super bowl the uh really every major event you could think of plus remember it's volume of games that's what operators are really looking for as well is game volume the super bowl is a massive event i mean two years ago Just in New Jersey, the handle around the NCAA tournament was $240 million. Mm. And again, that's because of volume of games. So you're just going to see a ton of games. We also have the Masters coming up in a couple of weeks. So this is an incredible season for us and the rest of the industry.
0: Patrick, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Patrick Keane of Action Network. Karen, where do you stand on, on betting, especially as states are starting to open up more and more?
2: That's funny. I don't really like to bet, but I guess that's what we do here every day, basically. (laughs) I mean, for me, I made my sort of, you know, my bet through MGM, which uh, is both a, you know, um, MGM um, online as well as MGM. So, so far, that's worked. The valuation is definitely getting rich. It is a, a, for MGM, it is a reopen trade for sure. I probably wouldn't be adding right here, actually. Mm. Guy.
1: Well, I think, obviously, DraftKings sold off from that 64 level down to 57. 64 had been a previous high. Now it's through it. You trade DKNG against 64. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question, Mel, because yes. I'm really curious about this. I want to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's Harvard playing in the tournament?
0: Um, I don't. I, I Yale. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah, idea.
1: No. False. Anyway. You know
0: that. You know because yeah, they're not know. in the oh, But Georgetown's okay, in
1: the tournament. Georgetown's <laughs> playing Saturday.
3: By the way, they're playing Colorado. Back to you. Okay, yeah. Well, so look, Hoyas. I mean, I think ultimately, the, <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the, the Hoyas haven't been there much lately either, Mel. You should have hit them back with that. But we are. We do have an exciting squad this year. Simply, look. If if you look at the the. The, the gross gaming revenue that's coming on board with Connecticut, adding that to New Jersey, the addressable market for the entire sports betting world, it explains why the analysis around it. I mean, a lot of people are a lot more comfortable betting on sports than they are in markets because they feel like they've got more of an edge. And I think that's why this is so popular.
0: By the way, if Harvard were in the tournament and if Harvard did play Yale, Harvard would win up next or final trade. There you go. <laughs> Welcome back. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
3: By the way, Mel, guy's just jealous because he was not the mathlete that you were, <laughs> uh, or are for that matter. Anyway, DraftKings. We talk about this addressable market. It's growing, it's booming. Profitability right now, frankly, I don't think really matters, and they're the leader.
0: Karen Fiderman.
2: Yeah, you know how I always say if you went home long and it's the same as buying it? FedEx. If I didn't own any, I would buy it right here. I think it's a really attractive entry point. I like what they're doing. I like the valuation. So FedEx, the girl that brought me to the dance last night. Same one.
0: Dan Nathan. <laughs> uh,
4: yeah, so Guy likes higher rates for longer, although he doesn't believe Fed Chair Powell thinks they're going to be lower for longer. I don't know why homebuilders are trading where they are with rates up here, so I'd be a seller of the XHB.
0: Guy... Hey, Mel,
1: are you going to play a little chalk on your – I know you're going to fill out your brackets. You probably like Gonzaga, right, is my sense. All the way. Yeah, that's why <laughs> I said. Oracle, Gonzaga. Lockheed Martin up big today on a lousy tape. LMT. All
0: right. Thanks for watching. Fast, See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money starts right now.